0: Up, Sal? Rock on. Rock on. Well, welcome back, podcasters, to another episode of the Party on John Cast, a podcast of music, theology, whatever is on our mind, coffee, and other things. Uh, I'm Reverend Sal Samarco, a validated minister. I realized last time, episode, I said I'm a validated ministry. I'm a validated minister in the Presbytery of Newton, the PCUSA, in the validated ministry of chaplaincy. There's a whole lot of validation there, isn't there? I need validation all the
1: time. Well, uh, I am the Rockin' Reverend Todd Laddick, uh, an ordained elder in the United Methodist Church of Greater New Jersey. I serve a congregation in New New Jersey uh, on higher ground from South.
0: Rock on. Rock on, man. And we actually have a guest with us. We're on location this episode, and we have a very special guest with us, uh, someone I've known for many years. Uh, Well, I'll let Bill tell how we met.
2: Well, thank you, Sal. Hi, my name is Bill Vila. I am not an ordained clergy. I am an ordained bus driver. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But I'm also a musician, actor, playwright, and stage manager. I've worked in theater. I've I've worked as a church musician, so that's also how i know of sal um and i'm also like i indicated a bus driver but not just a bus driver i am a long distance bus driver which means i do not every two three blocks and stop i do every 225 miles and then i stop Um, and i've been doing that for about 23 years and todd we just met so it's a pleasure meeting you sir pleasure meeting you, too may god bless you and keep you I just committed a
1: great sin. I apologize. Don't worry,
2: I didn't see it. Did you see anything, Sam? <laughs> I didn't anything. Exactly, that's what I thought. And I've been looking forward to this podcast for quite some time. So thank you very much for having me.
1: Yeah, it's been great. It's great to have it's you. good to have you. Um, and I've been looking forward to it, too. Um, and uh, so it is exciting to be here. And where is here right now, actually? So we are at,
2: is it Hoboken Cigars? Yes, we are in Hoboken Cigars in the... Hamlet of Hoboken, New Jersey, a small little town on the other side of the Hudson River directly across from Manhattan. So we like to, or at least I like to refer to Hoboken sometimes. as the sixth borough of New York City. And that might be offensive to some New Jerseyans. but I'm a New Yorker born and bred, so A, I don't care what you think, and B, more importantly, since... Hoboken, New Jersey has a subway that connects from here to Manhattan in less than 15 minutes. My ideology is that if a city has a subway that close to New York City, it's part of New York City. So, therefore, Hoboken is the unofficial sixth borough of New York City.
1: Who am I to argue my favorite team is called the New York Giants, and it's nowhere
0: near New York City. I mean, it is, but it isn't. That's another story entirely. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So we are in Hoboken. Uh, Hoboken is also a popular spot for many northern New Jersey young adults to come and to uh, to imbibe because it's cheaper than New York City. And it's trendy. And it's trendy, uh, given the fact that we are seeing lots of St. Patrick's Day revelers outside
2: true, getting drunk. Including myself, because yeah. I am aware that today, oh by the way, as this is being broadcast or recorded, uh, today is the first Full Saturday in the month of March, and that means in Hoboken today is St. Patrick's Day. That's right. Or as a person of a certain age like me would call it, amateur hour. <laughs> <laughs> amateur hour. <laughs> but because I have, um, I have a certain investment in sporting my greenery, uh, and also because my husband is also Irish, I'm of the opinion that I'm going to celebrate. Irish culture just by sporting my green. So I have my green tie, I have my my lucky pin, I even have my scarf. Of Ireland, there it goes, yep. and I think I have the logo. There it is. There so it is. on. Yeah. Uh, it also provides a certain amount of security in that when the young folks start looking at me and they see all the green, they go, Hey, right on! I'm like, Okay, fine, good for you. Have a good time. Don't drink too much, and don't it. Like don't act like it. Well, I'm not going to say that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but
2: you knew I you knew what I was thinking. I right? knew exactly. Sal, so I know exactly you thought did. I was. Thinking. But I love the color green anyway, so it's nice to wear it when it's appropriate and when it just yeah, seems fitting. And today seems fitting.
1: Yeah. yeah. Very fitting. Amen. And darn it, I did not You didn't get the memo Todd. <laughs> I didn't get the memo I, I missed a lot of memos.
2: This yes, morning. evidently. But, you uh, know. I no.
0: forgot to also say I'm wearing my Be Kind Mr. Rogers t shirt. Oh. Very <laughs> cool. That's nice. But y'all need Jesus.
2: We do. I wish I had known you were going to do that. I would have worn my... Well, I actually do have a pin of Pittsburgh, but I have a pin of Mr. Rogers as well. And the trolley. Nice. I didn't wear that
1: And for those who are listening to this, uh, I said y'all need Jesus because that's what my t-shirt says. (laughs) Y'all need need Jesus. So that's where we are in this neighborhood. (laughs) That's where we are.
0: Um, Which brings
1: us to... Oh, this brings us to our Hebrews segment.
0: Hey, guys. Hey, Sal. How do you know that Jesus likes coffee, How? He wrote about it in the book of Hebrews. But um, every time. (laughs) (laughs) That's
2: folks.
1: (laughs) That that is about as old as my uh, as my. most excellent music uh, scream is
0: loud. Yes. <laughs> yes. So that brings us to what we're drinking. Um, I'm drinking a Starbucks uh, Nitro Cold Brew with Sweet Cream. Going a little different today. Um, what are you drinking, though? I am drinking
1: a once-was-hot um, uh, Grande Pike's Place roast uh, black coffee. Because I figured, well, I always drink black coffee, but I figured instead of getting a latte, we're smoking cigars. I gotta go bold, bold. Mm-hmm. When when um, when Bill here asked me what kind of cigar I wanted, I said strong and spicy. Surprise me.
2: <laughs> and I think he'll find that he will be surprised. Now, <laughs> unlike Todd, Sal likes his cigars mellow. Yeah. And I don't I'm a drink, mellow guy. What kind And of I don't personally drink coffee because I'm a morning person by design. So anything else to turbocharge me might be a mistake. Because <laughs> uh, I might irritate more than a couple of people in the morning that way. But so purposes of today, I'm just drinking water. But I do have my cigar... And I tend to smoke them strong, full bodied, and Maduro because uh, that's what kind of balances me out. But uh, for Todd's purpose, we are both smoking the same cigar. We're smoking LFD La Flor Dominicana, double E Heddle. It is a full body Maduro cigar. Both are on the 50 gauge, which is a kind of a wide cigar, not overtly huge, but strong, full cigar. And this Place, Hoboken Cigars has a myriad of small types of cigars of different lengths, sizes, gauges, and strengths. And it is safe to say that um, you don't smoke a cigar like this unless you have food in your system. It's kind of like going out to a bar and not having to eat anything and then start tossing them back, and then you start finding out how your body hates you and will let you know in ways you're not prepared to deal with how it does not. Yeah, true. Cigars work similarly. So,
0: that, so Bill just led us into our smoke on the water segment. Yes, yes, so, our smoke on the water um, segment.
1: Why on the water? Um,
0: well, we are on River Street. We are on River right Street. Right by the Hudson River yes, in Hoboken. Yes. Um, and I am smoking... Bill picked out all our cigars, so I'm smoking a Blind Man's Bluff. Maybe Bill can tell more about it.
2: Uh, Sal indicated to me that he prefers his cigars mellow. And he's been to this establishment many times. We've had our own talks, because I've known this guy for quite a long time. Uh, when he ex- and when he revealed to me that he enjoys cigars... The attitude I took is, you're going to drive all the way down from where you come from to come smoke with me, I'm buying you cigars, end of story. So when he suggested a metal cigar, I reached out to the proprietors of this place um, and asked them who are, and they're experts in their cigars choosing. They they pick out cigars like you pick out your clothes. They know what they will pick out for you based on what you ask them what you want. So I wanted something nice and mellow. A blind man's glove cigar is a nice mellow cigar, but there is a catch. You still have to eat before you try to smoke it. Otherwise, it will smack you around. Whereas the ones that Todd and I are smoking, well, it's Maduro. By design, you kind of have to eat something because I don't care how of a disposition you possess, (laughs) it's going to hurt you. It's going to
1: smack you around no matter what. Exactly. Just prepared to get your ass handed to you. That's right. Yeah.
2: Oh, we can say ass? Cool. We can say say whatever you want. (laughs) Oh, good, good. good. Worst comes to worst, we bleep. Good, the filters have come off then, ladies and gentlemen, so hold on to your hat, (laughs) it's going to be a hell of a ride.
0: (laughs) All right, so that's what we're smoking, well, why don't we actually go ahead and light our cigars? I think we
2: should light our cigars. And I'm going to help you with doing that by, I'm going to uh, put this down, and I'm going to walk over to their lighter. And while they do this, I'm going to do this. Okay.
0: I'm gonna light my own myself. I don't
2: know if you can still hear me or not. Um, so I thank you very much. This device over here, believe it or not, is a, is a lighter. But it goes back to uh, 1940. These lighters go back, back to 1940. yes. Yeah, yeah. So, unlike most lighters, where you just click and light, you have to pull this arm back and lights the filament, and then at that point you can light up. So, lighters up.
0: Well, see, I've used my trusty old Zippo. And how about
2: you I'll do this. Okay, fine. I'll bring my mic over to you. And do you have enough cable to move around? I do. Okay, super. There you go. It's one of those cigars that you have to give a little bit of time to, but once it starts to kick, it's like a diesel engine. It won't turn on right away. <laughs> and yes, I do see a point about how being close to your beard might be a concern. It could be a concern. Yeah, it, it almost could have been a moment ago, but... That was fine. I kind of a bit more I mean, yes. the slower you're all you do is the kind that of like. The, the, the kind of the slower you're doing, the slower you draw, the more full body comes to the cigar. There you go. That's there the best we
0: go. Right. Hopefully this is translating to the bod guests.
2: Yes, this is my kind of cigar drink. Yes, sure. you chose well.
0: Bill, not that I didn't think you would. Bill has good taste in uh, good taste in cigars. I
2: have to focus some cigar smoking like drinking like certain amount of imbuing it's something that you have to be connected with and if you're not for anyone just to pick for you and they don't know what they're talking about and I don't claim for a moment that I know what I'm talking about for other people I know for myself that's right that's
1: so right so that's always the, always the case and then that's
0: right so as we enjoy our cigars uh, let's move on to
1: our most Excellent Music Segment!
0: Pretty shocking every time. Wow. Yeah, Bill's face said it all. I
2: just turned all different color. <laughs> um...
0: So, uh, so this is where we talk about whatever music we're listening to. It doesn't. It, it started out as the most excellent metal music. Uh, it's now just most excellent music. Uh, I'll go first. Um, uh, I've been listening to an album by Van Halen. Uh, Van Halen 3, uh, which is a, a, an album where they had Gary Sharon from Extreme join, and uh, it was. Uh, universally uh, uh, panned by the critics because uh, Gary Sharon really wasn't a good fit for Van Halen uh, musically the, the album musically Van Halen wise is great it's still a, it's Van Halen it's the technicality the virtuosity it's all there but just Gary Sharon was not a good fit for that album so I was listening to they have a song on it called Once I gotta find the uh, the lyrics all right. Here we go. So it's 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 a different sound for Van Halen than that most people are used to. Even though even after, um, you know, it's not a David Lee Roth sound. It's not a Sammy Hagar sound. It was definitely a different sound for them, a, a deeper, more reflective sound. But it was good. So this song is called Once. Um, once embraced, can ever be let go. Once revealed, can ever not shown. Once believed, can ever lose faith. Once shared, can ever be separated. Um, once born, can ever not be conceived. Once present, can ever be passed. Once first, once can ever never not ever last. Returning home of the prodigal, holding the intangible. To believe in a miracle, believe it. Can you believe it? Have you ever been touched once? really touched. Could it ever be too much? Can you tell me? So the assurance only hope can bring with a conviction of the unseen. See it's greater than everything. See, oh can you see it once. So it's kind of a spiritual song without being spiritual. Yeah. And I think that's probably why critics panned it. But <laughs> I liked
1: it. Well you know how those critics are. Yeah. They know everything. Yeah,
0: they do. So that's my most excellent uh selection how about you who wants to go next
1: me okay um so i have been on such an Evanescence uh kick uh there's something about metal and amy lee <laughs> just is awesome and um the song tourniquet uh, off of their first album fallen um, first off, the entire, the entire album of Fallen is just uh, phenomenal. I was telling Sal on the ride down here, I, I don't think there's a single filler song on that entire album. It's just like all, like, just awesomeness of uh, evanescence. Um, but for me, like, I um, really love this song, Tourniquet, because as I've shared before, and Sal and I both have been open about this, like, I have suffered my whole life with depression and anxiety. And, um, so when I read these lyrics, this is kind of, I see myself in them, uh, to a degree, and I, I think this has been my relationship with God in a lot of ways. And I would say, um, that this is really, to me, a 21st century psalm. Like, this is, if this, if the psalmist could have thought ahead to what Evanescence sounded like, they would have written this. So, um... So the lyrics are, I tried to kill the pain, but only brought more, so much more. I lay dying, and I'm pouring crimson regret and betrayal. I'm dying, praying, bleeding, screaming. Am I too lost to be saved? Am I too lost? My God, my tourniquet, return to me salvation. My God, my tourniquet, return to me salvation. Do you remember me, lost for so long? Will you be on the other side? Will you forget me? I'm dying, praying, bleeding, screaming. Am I too lost to be saved? Am I too lost? My God, my tourniquet, return to me salvation. My God, my tourniquet, return to me salvation. Um, My wounds cry for the grave. My soul cries for deliverance. Will I be denied? Christ, tourniquet, my suicide. And I, I think about that, that song because the idea of a tourniquet obviously is to stop the bleeding, to stop the blood flow, to, to, per, to preserve life, in essence, uh, if, if you're using it for that reason. And so seeing Christ as a tourniquet, as a, a lifesaver in some ways, as the, as the, the hope for deliverance, as the, 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 the one you cry out to for the return of your salvation, just the powerful uh, lyrics, and uh, you know, Amy Lee herself is a is a Christian, but the band isn't necessarily a Christian band. Uh, but there's no doubt that sh- that her faith and her her faith came through in these lyrics. I mean, it's just it's just a very very powerful song. So that's my offering.
2: Okay, I I think I would have been kind of lost for words, but Sal knows me and um, now I understand more on how your this particular segment works. Allow me to offer, an, if you would not mind, one but two, and I'll be, it'll be sure. very quick. Sure, sure. Um, since it's obvious from the both of you that the music that you pick is in, works in cahoots with your individual ministries and how you have to, as a person in clergy, need to have your own souls nourished in order to be able to nourish those who depend upon you, Mm -hmm. which will this probably lead into our discussion. Um, My upbringing in church um, has a lot to do with the music mainly and not as much the words. But because of how I function in life, I... Receive my inspiration from whatever would hit me, uh, if throughout my life or in the moment. So, to that end, um, as a church musician, I found myself playing my music in a jazz style motif. It's part because uh, I'm a musician first, everything else happened later. Mm-hmm. Um, Part of my studying in music uh, turned me on to jazz because, well, my education includes uh, being a student of the High School of Music and Art in New York City, and when that happened, I was uh, exposed to jazz appreciation. I big up to Justin P- Justin Chocho, the teacher who I had back in those days, and uh, he introduced me to jazz uh, as an idiom, as an art form, and as a culture. Um, so when I started going to college, The first song that really hit me hard um, in the idiom of jazz came from a pianist by the name of McCoy Tyner. And I mentioned that because he just recently passed away. Um, But he came out with an album called Double Trios. And in that album, there was a song called Latino Sweet. Now, if you hear me say the word Latino, why does it sound Spanish? It's because I am. My background's from Puerto Rico. So to hear an African-American male playing the piano of a song that starts as Latino, I want to hear how it sounds. And there's no lyrics to that, but the music is enchanting to me. And as a pianist, I naturally am gravitated to how other pianists who have demonstrated their proficiency and uh, fluidity in their instrument. And bottom line, the dude kicked ass. So that being said... Uh, that's the musical component that I can bring to the table, but as far as lyrics is concerned, also no. I am a child of the 80s and 90s, Hell yeah! so <laughs> my music um, and uh, my music that I embraced was uh, a lot of rap hip hop, house music especially, and um, well, there was this group and they're no longer around, and if I'm wrong someone correct me but um, there was this group back in the 90s that I used to listen to from a lady, her name was Lisa Mm Velez. You may not know her real name, but you may know her from her other name, Lisa Lisa, and her crew was called The Cult Jam. The Cult Jam. And they had a song in the 90s that pretty much encapsulates how I conduct myself in life. And I'll read you those lyrics because they do exist, Um, and actually the song is called Let the Beat Hit Them also so the lyrics go a little something like I'm trying to do this without having to stop (laughs) okay I'm gonna have to stop okay the lyrics go something like this let in order to play with this record you must tune your bass to up let the beat hit them let the music take control the beat goes round and round and up and down and let the beat hit them. Got to learn to let go. Mm. Amen. And that's pretty much how I conduct my life. Amen.
1: Amen. Wow. So that was our most excellent music segment.
0: That was a most excellent, most excellent music segment. Ex- it was. Excellent. <laughs> excellent. Party uh,
1: and and uh, need, us, need we remind our, our listeners that we named, specifically named this uh, podcast off of two of our most excellent inspirations. Uh, Three, really. Uh, Yeah, Uh, well, four maybe if you count Garth. So Wayne, Garth, Bill, Bill. and Ted. Woo! (laughs)
0: Excellent. I'll smoke to that.
2: Amen to that, brother
0: that's our most excellent music selection so uh, let's move on to our actual main topic for the recording um, which is um, without setting ourselves on fire um, which is uh, Sabbath
1: Sabbath. bloody Bloody Sabbath Sabbath. so uh,
0: the last time Bill and I were together here at the at the cigar shop we kind of had a conversation and I said that would be an awesome subject for our podcast which is the idea (laughs) of sabbath but more specifically sabbath for those who are clergy or folks who are called to vocations or ministries that preclude them from actually going to what everyone associates as Sunday sabbath or worship so how do we how do we rest how do we worship how do we find sabbath when the three of us can't necessarily take sabbath on Sunday
1: and uh, for those of you who may be Seventh-day Adventists out there, uh, for Saturday. those of you who can't worship on Saturday, right? yeah, either way. Um, so my household is one of those households, uh, unlike some clergy, there, there are many clergy I know who are clergy couples, where uh, both, both clergy, both uh, in the couple, both people uh, in the household are, are clergies and serve in different churches. Um, sometimes, rarely, they'll serve in the same church, but most of the time they're serving in separate churches. Um, in my household, we don't. I, I don't. We're not. Bernadette and I are not a clergy couple, but Bernadette is a nurse, and nurses uh, have to work uh, usually every other weekend, um, and uh, so so uh, uh, Bernadette uh, typically works. I, I think every Sunday. Um, But that allows her typically to go to church. But in the past, uh, when she was working at the hospital, there were some Sundays she couldn't go. And I had to, anytime I went to a church uh, to to be appointed, one of the things I had to say is, you know, my my wife is a nurse and she will not always be in church and that's just that. (laughs) Um, And the churches I've gone to have accepted that. I mean, they, you know, they respect the fact that she's a nurse. uh, But it makes it hard because there are times when my wife would like to be at church for something but can't be because... Um, because she, she has to work and, and with our schedules being so all over the place, there's very little time for us to sit down and actually observe Sabbath. And for me, me, my wife is one thing, cause she, when she does go to church, she gets fed. I mean, that's, 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 you know, her thing. I mean, she has to be on somewhat because she's in the church that I'm serving on and she's the clergy spouse. But for me, I'm always serving, 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 and so I rarely get to actually sit and worship, which is a really weird thing. So when those opportunities do arrive, arise, um, I uh, I really enjoy them. And uh, so yeah, it's it's really difficult to to find Sabbath. So what does Sabbath look like for you, Sal? Because you're a chaplain. <clears throat>
0: um, I haven't even talked about what Sabbath looks like for me, but we'll start with you. <laughs> well, it's, it's uh. And I'm a little different in that from Todd, in that my ministry doesn't necessarily mean I have to be in church on Sunday. Um, but often, because of the nature of chaplaincy, where you're, and as a solo chaplain, you're on call 24 um, 7. There have been Sundays where I've been pulpit supply or, you know, gotten a call in the middle of church and I have to respond. Um, so. The advantage that I have over Todd is that, number one, Allison is not expected to be a clergy spouse because we're not in a church. Like, I'm not I'm not leading a church. Now, there are folks within our congregation that we, where we worship where they know that I'm clergy, and I've done a pretty good job at, other than the one time I preached at the church we attend, where I keep that, I keep, when I'm there in the pew, I'm there as a person in the pew, uh, and Allison is there as a person in pew. pew. Um, so my ministry doesn't get in the way of that unless I'm called off to something. Um, so I want to say that half...
2: Don't worry about it, don't worry about it, don't worry about
0: it. Half of my Sundays are spent with Allison in worship, but often I'm working seven days a week, six days a week, and I have to find times to just relax.
1: Yeah, and uh, just so uh, those of you who are hearing background noise and all that, that's because we're in, in... As you know, we like to be in a live place with live ambience, and so to our friends, if any noise comes across, it's okay. <laughs> it'll pick us up more than it'll pick you pick you up.
2: In fact, so. we encourage it, quite yeah. frankly, because <laughs> yeah. we're not trying to make this into a, 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 studio. a sanitized <laughs> <Yeah>. studio <laughs> yeah. environment. This is real life.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, uh, there, let me tell you, there's, this is one of the chillest places I've. We've had the opportunity to sit and record. The last place we did was a bar, and uh, that was, that wasn't as chill until the second Manhattan hit. <laughs> 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 then it chilled right out.
2: <laughs>
1: so, <laughs> uh, um, so yeah, so. How about what's that look like for you, Bill? Because you are um, a bus driver, and as you said, you're not just driving buses from here to you know New York City and back. You're, you're driving hundreds of miles.
2: I go all over. Yeah, and um, I did not realize this when, before we met, that your wife's a nurse. Yeah. My mother was a nurse. Okay. And, uh, Sal, with your permission, I may gravitate towards... How we reconnect. Yeah, yeah.
0: You, know, right? yeah. You, uh, you can. We can go into our background and how we met and reconnect and all that stuff. We can. I will. Yeah. We yeah. can share.
2: And I'll do what amounts to be a Reader's Digest version because it's a it's a long it's a long thing. But my point is this: to to answer your question to begin with, um, because my work as a driver does not preclude the possibility of having set days of the week for me to be off and even if they did, they may not necessarily be on the Sabbath where I could freely go to worship at a church. So this goes back to what I mentioned in the beginning about my relationship with music whether the lyrics exist or not in the song is irrelevant to how the relationship of music happens to me To put it mildly, I can have church wherever I want. Now, I'll say it like this. I was raised in the church. I played for a church in Spanish Harlem where I grew up. I cut my bones and teeth as a musician playing the piano in this particular space. Uh, The denomination that I was a part of for a long time, I would say simply from birth, was the Christian Church Disciples of Christ. Mm -hmm. I am still... I still call myself a Disciples of Christ from the, man, from the standpoint of being a member of the denomination, but I haven't taken part for a while, in part because the work that I do uh, does not provide me a certain amount of stability to attend worship. Um, but I still have plenty of friends, people who I grew up in the church, who I still maintain to this very day. Um, and. Because, of course, we've all gotten older and hopefully wiser, we, we find ways to connect that not necessarily means we have to meet in church to make that happen. Um, and because of the work that I do, and I do travel a lot, my work does not just mean I drive hundreds of miles at a shot. I've done that. I've driven as far south as Orlando, Florida, or as far north as four hours north of Montreal, Canada and as far west as Chicago, Illinois, or to drive a bus. Because where the people need the bus to be taking you someplace, someone has to do it. So this is the great example I use, and this is to your point, Todd. Mm-hmm. My mother was a registered nurse. My mother was specifically a scrub nurse. You mm-hmm. know what that is. Mm-hmm. And it's because she was a scrub nurse, she served the surgeons. Now, when someone has to have their eye replaced or their neck or their throat were fixed or their ears fixed. She worked in a hospital where eyes, ears, note, and throat were the specialty. And because she was a scrub nurse, she needed to be available to work whenever they needed her. And because she was evidently good at what she did, she worked the same hospital for 27 years until she retired, um, she was called upon a lot. It's the same woman who also insisted I go to church now I'm also clarified my father was an atheist so being married to a, a, a Holy Ghost Christian in that respect would be somewhat of a, of a balancing act but it really wasn't because ultimately my father respected my mother's beliefs it did not matter what she believed. Maybe she didn't he didn't always appreciate the method she went about it sometimes because she could be a bit intense. Yeah. <laughs> I never met I haven't met a Spanish mother yet in my life who wasn't intense. Especially <laughs> when religion came into the picture. So go figure that. And that's not a disrespect. It's just a fact. Okay? Yeah. But it's also a fact that also helped me to grow up in New York City in the seventies and not get shot or stabbed. Because when your parents are your parents they're not trying to be friends with you, they're trying to put they're trying to instill the fear of God in you. Amen. So that way you understand how to walk through life and not get yourself smacked around. And I listened to my folks because I was afraid of them. And that's a good thing. Fear far, of your parents is a good thing. I have yeah, no problem with that. So good to, healthy dose of fear. So there would be times my mother would For have to go health. to work on a Sunday. But she had, been, she had instilled this, this relationship of the church and the people there with me. So, when she couldn't go, I would find myself going because I had camaraderie. I also had something to do, namely playing the piano, because eventually I, I evolved to playing the music in church on a regular basis. That's how I was able to cut my teeth, cut my bones. Um, so she couldn't go because she had to work? Okay, I went. For the longest time though, I had a hard time being able to to uh, um, embrace that notion. We're supposed to be going to church, but you have to work. Well, how do you go to work and not go to church? That doesn't make any sense to me. And then I became a bus driver. Something that I had always wanted to do from a long time ago, I'm thinking from age three, I wanted to drive a bus. My mother would always claim he's going to be a doctor, a lawyer, an accountant. You know, the safe jobs, no disrespect, but just jobs that you could aspire to with minimal effort. Sure. And I would agree. In part because she's my mother and I was going to make her happy. I would agree, yeah, I'm going to be a doctor, a lawyer, uh, an accountant. You can tell by the way I'm saying that I had much enthusiasm in saying that. But I was always end every sentence with this. And I'm going to drive a bus. (laughs) That's never changed. Now I'm 23 years driving a bus. So I think I, I fulfilled that component of it. But she would have to go work. And if she had to work... She had to work because someone's eye, ear, nose, or throat was being operated on, and she was providing the tools for the surgeons to do her job. Yeah. Oh, I can't go operate on this person who could lose an eye, ear, nose, or throat or possibly die because I have to go sit in the pew and be told how to support yep. my life in a godly way. I think she was basically demonstrating what happens when you get it right. Yeah. And yeah. it's time to now manifest that in your life to the larger world out there. If you're not contributing to the human condition, you're creating problems as far as I'm concerned. So to be a driver of a bus in a city like New York, where most folks rely on public transit to get to where they're going to, regardless of the time of the day or the day of the week, explain me this, how are you going to get to church if you don't own a car? How are you going to get to your synagogue or to your mosque if you don't have your own personal means of transportation? Well, that's what this thing that comes down the street that's about 40 feet long, about 8, eight nine feet high, that can transverse the streets. Well, someone's got to drive that bus. Well, as we like to say Puerto Rico, presente. <laughs> and that's the truth. So I bring that component to my work. It's not just me steering the wheel and getting the vehicle down the streets. It's about the lady who's traveling with her child to church. They live in the Bronx, the church is in Manhattan. They can't necessarily walk there. And if they could, maybe they would rather not. So they can use the time they need to get to where they're going to prepare themselves because worship is about preparation yeah, you yeah. just can't just go and all of a sudden go into worship mode yeah. you guys are the epitome of that because you just can't wake up one morning and say okay i'm going to be chaplain we're going to play chaplain today no you still got to have your coffee oh, get
1: yeah. your mind <laughs> right for it
2: if you don't yes. do these things to get your mind right then you're going to be lousy in your job mm-hmm. That's right. now that being said let me explain to you how it became for me, Sal, and me, our reconnection. I've known this kid since he's 17 years old. I for met a long, Sal. Long, long time. Long, long time ago. Back at a decade called I the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> the 80s. Wow, bad hair. Anyway, uh, well, at least hair for me. I don't have anymore. Yeah, Bill had hair when we met. I had a lot of hair back then. Well, I had enough. Enough to know that I had I was older, but I was starting to look like I'm looking too old for my age. It's not right. <laughs> the bottom line was, as Sal has mentioned, he's part of the Presbyterian Church. Back then, there was this conference that was done. And I'm not sure if it's still done. No. But back then, there was a conference done called um, the Presbyterian Youth Council. And Silver, every
0: Silver Bay Presbyterian Youth yes. Conference.
2: And it took place at a camp a YMCA camp at State of New York in the Adirondacks called Silver Bay. On Lake George, And a mutual friend of ours, I'm gonna give a shout out to her because she's the reason why we met. Her name is the Reverend Dr. Margaret Amer-Auger. She's living out of Austin. She's a professor of New Testament studies. And when I first met her, she was pursuing her MDiv um, at the Union Theological Seminary. And while she was pursuing that, and also serving the Presbyterian Church in White Plains, New York, she brought to my attention the youth council, how they were gonna meet up for a full week in June, and would I be interested in providing musical support to the conference? And I said, sure, why not? So I go, and as we take part, it turned out that I would be put to more duties other than just playing the piano, which in and of itself was a difficult task because I had to prepare all this music. But, you know, you come prepared for the job, then anything else comes down the line. So that being said, I was tasked to take part as a youth leader in youth groups that would meet up, discuss Bible, discuss uh, topics that were important to them as they were discovering themselves. And I was charged to lead a group, and each group was given their, uh, their own name to choose from. Now, in 1998, when I first met Sal, there was a musical that came out. It wasn't a music, it was a, st- it was a play that came out in the city by John Leguizamo. It was his one-man show, and it was called Freak. And it loosely is about his life growing up in Jackson Heights, Queens, around the same time. He and I are the same age. And we share birthdays about a month apart from each other. And by the time he was doing that play, he was already a monster. He was already a heavy player in the game. So he had the one man show, he had these hats, they all said freak, I brought my hat with me to the conference and when it came time to name my group, I named my group The Freaks. And Sal and quite a number of people that he and I both know to this day, when I refer to them online, live whatever I refer to them how you doing you freak and that's to this day now why you know is what that one important of my
1: nicknames was what was your nickname uh, it wasn't it wasn't a nickname that was uh, that I necessarily liked being called but it became who I am freak
2: Freak. <laughs> <laughs> you freak. Well, there you go Karma's is a wonderful thing the, isn't it the spirit moves in wonderful ways <laughs> fast forward to about seven years ago 2013. My mother served as a nurse until 1990, then she retired. Unfortunately, Alzheimer's got her and got her back. And the year she died was 2013. We reconnected first through Facebook. Sal and I reconnected through Facebook. Facebook, in that respect, I thank God for that because without it, I don't think I would have made the kind of connections or reconnections that I have done in my life. My parents would have benefited from this if this had come out during their time when they were the most vibrant. It had came out for us, so I'm grateful for that. To that end, as my mother was, you know, slipping away, um... We had to take her to New York Presbyterian Hospital because uh, she had broken her hip. Um, and when she was placed there, it was discovered by the staff that she was a nurse. So they kind of gave her special treatment sure. Sure. and uh, they put her in her own private room with music playing. And I spent time in there, of course, uh, let her know that I was there. Whether she recognized that I was there or not was really not the point. It was that I was there, and to be specific, what took place was I put a posting on Facebook that said that I'm at New York Presbyterian Hospital, I'm with my mother, and I'm sad. What I didn't realize is that Sal had texted me on Facebook Messenger that I, he was in the hospital at the time. You were a clergy no, working the, that floor. I was working, working that floor, floor <laughs> that day. That slipped by me. So I'm in the room with my mother just being in the space and all of a sudden I got a knock on the door and this guy walks in and you walked in and you're in the way you walk in, Sal, uh, just being ready to be clergy. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know it was him at first. But when he walked in, I looked up and I said, I know you. And it hit me like a shot. Because I recognized it was Sal. I was like, what the hell are you doing here? And then it all got all put together. Uh, Look I'm at Kaplan you, freak. <laughs> <laughs> Kaplan freak. Exactly. But it was, like, it was like the universe saying, we got you. We got you. Yeah. You ministered to Sal. He gets to minister to you. God works that way, man. And I'm like, mm-hmm. you know what? Bet that. Because I needed it in the worst possible yeah. way. But this is what also happened. And he wasn't ready. He wasn't expecting this because even though I was in a lot of pain at the time, my mother was getting ready to die. There's no question about it. I'm a realist. I'm not gonna deny it, but still it hurts because my father had already passed five years previously. So at this point, my other living parent is about to leave the planet. And how am I gonna deal with this? Well, I better find ways. But I still found it in me to be able to provide a teachable moment for lack of a better word I told Sal when she goes you're, pre- you're doing the eulogy mm-hmm. had you done eulogies up at that, that point? that
0: was my first eulogy
2: right and I said I don't care if it's your first eulogy when she goes you're doing the eulogy period end of story I don't want to hear no ifs, ands, buts or I don't think I have the experience crap I ain't hearing that she passed away on November 9th of that year I like to be called the reverse 9-11. And when it happened, I reached out to Sal and asked him, it's happened, can you do it? I didn't ask a question. It was more like, Sal, she passed, get ready to do this. And he did. And I'm going to be perfectly frank with you. <laughs> I was watching you do the eulogy, and realized that every, most every word you said from that eulogy came from the notes that came from the program that I had to print it out. And I had to go, dude, what's up? And I realized, no, that's not fair. No, it's not fair. It's not fair because you didn't know my mother long enough to really make a, a, a right. true... Yeah honest assessment. That's
1: what we call clergy trick, by the way. That is a clergy trick.
2: You could not have known to make that kind of true assessment but for the fact that you had some, what's the word I use, cliff notes?
0: Mm -hmm. notes. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a mother.
2: So that was fine. Now that being said, when when Margaret did my father's eulogy, she was ready <laughs> she was ready she had she wrote a whole sermon about you bet your life because apparently that was my father's favorite saying because there was a TV show back in the 50s and 60s called you bet your you bet life your that Groucho yep. show marks yep used to host, and people used to confuse Groucho Marx with my father because my father had these bushy eyebrows, (laughs) smoked a cigar, was pretty much the same complexion as Groucho Marx. So people of a certain age made that leap, and I went, yeah, okay, fine, whatever works for you. But Margaret made that leap on her own just by the books she used to see my father read because my father was a voracious reader. He didn't care what he read. If he, it was unpopular, he didn't care. He wanted to know what he wanted to know. If he didn't like it, too bad you're not walking in his shoes. Deal with it. That was my father. My mother was of the, of the opinion and of the, of, the, of the strength and belief that she knew she wanted to serve God in the Christian tradition she also knew that her responsibility to the outside world also played a part in that the vocation she chose absolutely or maybe to the point the vocation that chose her yes requires certain sacrifice
1: you know that, that's exactly the the way my wife my wife was not a she grew up roman catholic but she was not a practicing Roman Catholic, but she was the one that helped me realize I needed to answer the call I had when I was a child, and she's the one that has embraced this, this life of ministry and actually understands um, that her role as a nurse is the role of a minister. She's ministering differently than I would sitting bedside with somebody, but she's ministering all the same because our body, our soul, our um, minds, they're not disconnected. They're all a part of a greater whole. And uh, she recognizes that, and, uh, and uh, she absolutely does minister. And let me tell you, when I passed out a few months ago, I don't know if I told this on... Did I tell this live? I think I did. When I passed out and broke my teeth... Oh, yeah, I did. When I passed out and broke my teeth... Um, uh, I have to say, uh, I was really thankful that night I was married to a nurse. <laughs> she ministered to me. Um, but, yeah. So,
2: yeah, absolutely.
1: That is a ministry. Yeah.
2: I, 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 I say I agree not only with... the yeah, It's a good thing your wife was there at the time, right? Um, I, 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 also, I also get... Um, for me now that because of my what because of what my mother had to do, it did bother her yeah. on those times she had to work. And couldn't be at church. And right. couldn't yeah. be at church. Absolutely. Yeah. But she but I think she knew in a way that she could not necessarily verbalize to me back as a, then when I was a child. But she could demonstrate yeah. that I may not be able to be at church, but I'm serving church, and uh, here's my point. The fact remains that she, as a wife, as a nurse, may be ministering in that way to people who are sick. There is one thing that she is capable of doing as my mother was that you as a minister, as a clergyman, wouldn't have been able to do. Right. If something happened to the patient right then and there that required medical attention, she had the tools
1: absolutely. to do it. Absolutely, absolutely. Right. And that's just as vital. Right. You know, yeah. In fact, in that moment, that's more vital. Right. Because, <laughs> my for say, for because <laughs> if I'm <I've> got <laughs> yeah. trust
2: me if I tell you, and yeah. tell me if this is accurate. If let's say she, you're with a patient and that person goes into cardiac arrest Close, yeah. and your wife was there working as a nurse, she'd throw your ass out the room. Oh yeah. To
1: oh, yeah, get yeah. out the room. Yeah, 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 we yeah. got to do, yeah. we got to do yeah. saving
2: people's lives that's, that's now. That's now the our nurses job.
1: take that authority. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and at that yeah. point, are
2: you going to argue with your wife? Oh, no, uh, I don't nope, think so. Nope. In fact, I would throw my own ass out the room. Hello. <laughs> when I was a kid, my mother, uh, when I was a kid, I found out that I was allergic to shrimp, shellfish in general. And when I was 14 years old, I had like a shrimp cocktail meal like like one of those TV dinners and drank orange juice. The combination swelled my throat up. Mm -hmm. Now, I didn't realize that I was having a problem, but I did feel very uncomfortable. My mother being my mother and being a nurse recognized the problem and told me, let's go. Now, we used to live near where she worked. We walked to her ho- to the hospital where she worked. In fact, the reason we moved to Manhattan was because they wanted her to be closer to her job. Sure. So they got us into a place called Town back in the 1970s when the waiting list was 20 years long. They pushed us to the front of the line because they wanted her to be walking distance to the hospital, not two subways on a long walk distance to the hospital. Sure. Right. So we ended up going there, and they put me they pumped me full of their anti uh, antibiotics and essentially saved my life. They told her later, had he tried to sleep through the night, he would have suffocated in his sleep. Wow. And I'm thinking, okay, I will yield to you, my mom, when it comes to all things medical. Period, end of story. Yeah. So I, I totally get that. So, yeah, to, answer, to bring to a conclusion, our reconnection was as a direct result of Mind having to uh, prepare my mother sure. for life after.
1: It's, it's just amazing how the spirit works. For life know, after. Like that.
0: Um, and if I had to do it over again, I'd do a better sermon for you.
2: <laughs> I think at this point you have a couple more years in the game yep. that I might provide yeah, I do. and a couple more attacks that are going along with it. There's another thing about you, catch that I'm really digging. Both of y'all got the kind oh, of, I can't yeah. do ink personally, <laughs> well, because I'm also an actor, and actors <laughs> yeah. they, they, they get kind of Casting directors get kind of weird when you show up wearing tats because then if a part is right for you but you wear wearing ink in a place where it's going to be on camera, that might turn off people who are the ones paying the checks. Yes. Unless they want you to be Loaded with tats like on a show like uh, Sons of Anarchy where oh, you sure. couldn't show up with enough tats to satisfy them it, cats. And that you was You wouldn't cool.
1: get the job if you didn't have tats. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I'm
2: of a certain age where it doesn't apply to me really, so yeah. I don't necessarily mean it. But the fact that I can hang out with two, two, two clergy, two clergymen who sport tats and can know how and have game on it, tats. That's, that's hot. piercings, you know. (laughs) Well, for me, that was back in the 90s. That was when I went through that phase. We have to do
1: one where I've got like a dangly like uh, George Michael era.
0: um, So, but go ahead, Sal. So, it's important I think to wrap it up a little bit. It's important to recognize that um, one, we get cranky when we don't get to worship. My wife understands when I don't get to go to worship. I get cranky because yeah. I need that time wh- with God and with her. Uh, but also, she knows that God has called us, called me, to a service service industry. I'll
2: make this last point because this will also tie into what you just said. How do I find ways to worship though, or to be in a spiritual space when I can't step into a church? Yep. That's where the music comes in, because I was raised in a church hymns to this day are not too far away from me. Um, So I will find myself dwelling on a hymn that I used to love to play on the piano and lose my mind over it. I may not be able to embrace the lyrics today based on how we as a society, as a culture, are evolving and how we address each other. Because today, now it's not about ladies and gentlemen, it's more like he, him, his, her, her, she hers, or if you can't identify yet, because you don't know where you stand, that's on you and I respect that. Sure. Uh, but because I am of a certain age, I tend to go to what I know. Mm-hmm. So, lyrics that I remember singing in church to the top of my lungs growing up, I may not be able to embrace, but the music never dies. Never dies. I can listen to a song like um, yeah. It Is Well With My Soul. Oh, oh, oh I love it. Um, I can't speak to the verse, but I can speak to the chorus. It is well. It is well with my soul. It is well. It is well with my soul. And every time I think of that song, I get reminded of my parents again. Yeah. And um, and I and by the way, in both my parents' cases, I played the music for their funerals, uh. and ended each. Time playing that song, and it always moves me, like it's moving me now. Um, and it's a beautiful song to play on the piano. <laughs> yep. So I, I can, so whenever I need to have worship, like this is for me worship, thinking about my parents and thinking about how the music that I use to say goodbye to them was part of my upbringing mm-hmm. and how I can play it to this very day without any questions. So when I'm on a job and I can't be in a place where there's church, I'll just make church happen. I'll put on a CD and I'll go onto my iPad, my iPhone, and I'll start pumping uh, Kirk Franklin. Oh, I love uh, Kirk Franklin. Or Hezekiah Walker. Yeah. Or... Uh, or, or, or um, or, oh, oh, Mary, Mary. Uh, um, there's a there. I, I can't. I'm not even. Um, I'm not even touching the majority of the music that I grew up with. But those are examples of gospel music and gospel artists that I grew up listening to. Oh, even better, <laughs> Lauren Hill and her Lauren rendition uh, of His Eyes on the Sparrow. Yeah. And oh, 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 oh. I, the very first time I heard that, I was on mm. a charter on a Sunday. Right across the street from the, uh, from the, uh, from what's that uh, club on 125th Street? Um, oh my God, I just had my reunion there. How can I forget it? Um, it'll come to me. Um, the Cotton Club. The
1: Cotton Club, yeah.
2: The Cotton Club. And I was parked across the street and decided, let me go play Lauren Hill and her rendition of His Eyes on the Sparrow. And by the time the transition in notes went from, I went half step up, I started crying because it's like oh my god I'm feeling this now the words may or may not have been as important but the music was everything to me so I can go out on charter be on charter for a week at a time not have a chance to be near a church space or any kind of a a worship space all I gotta do is just pop on a music and I'm good to go and with my father for example when he passed I was in a cab being driven back to Jamaica Station and the the driver saw my condition and asked what was going on with me, and I told him my father just died and all that. And without hesitation, he popped on this song. I don't remember the exact name, but I could find it. And it just started hitting me, all these waves of, 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 of despair, yes, because my father had just died at that time, coupled with this belief that yeah, my father may have not believed in God, but I had a feeling he was a lot more deeper than that. And therefore, um, connecting that connection musically through the music that I was listening to um, provided a further means of connecting with my father and now with my mother uh, long after they have passed. So for me, all I got to do is pop on a song and if the music is hit me a certain way, I'm having church. So that's mm-hmm. church for you. Sal, and, what's
1: church for, for you, you when
0: you can't? And, have and to close the loop, Bill did end up playing, performing at my ordination. Ordination. Oh my Come, god! Coming back from yeah. driving a bus for a TV show.
2: Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, Real quick, it happened Valentine's week mm-hmm. because yeah, your I'm ordination gonna... was on a Sunday. It's my wife's
1: birthday. It's Valentine's Day. I remember that.
2: I got called by the company I drove for last to bring a bus for a show-and-tell for a TV show that eventually became a monster of Netflix. Can I say the title? Orange is the New Black. Orange is a New Black. Oh. I drive the bus to Queens. They shoot their scenes in Queens. A week later, I get a call from my dispatcher screaming for me. Bill, you're going to Chicago at 923. You're going to Chicago at 923. I'm like, who is this? (laughs) But he explained to me that they wanted that bus in Chicago. And I said, you do know that Chicago has buses in, in excess. They might have what they're looking for. No, they had to maintain the C word in this particular case. It's continuity. They were filming the episode backwards. I get that. So the bus had to be driven to Chicago. Now, I get told I'm doing that. This fool calls me up talking about, hey, I'm getting ordained on Sunday, February. I forgot the date. I'm like, oh, snap. That's right after I'm getting back from Chicago. Ooh. But then I said, you know what, Sal? I'll be there. I don't know how I'm going to do it. I'm gonna be there. Because too many things can happen that could prevent me from getting back in time for his ordination. But I said, hell of a water, I'm gonna get there. I drive on a Monday, I get to Chicago by Wednesday, I take a day off in Chicago, Friday we shoot the scenes, Saturday morning, I drive back. It's an 11 hour journey. By federal, I'm not allowed to drive more than 10 hours at a time. Then I have to pull over for eight and then start all over again. So on that Saturday, I drove that bus as far as I could east, through Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, to maybe two hours out of the New Jersey border in Pennsylvania before I had a stop. Got my eight hours. The second eight hours happened, eight hours and one minute later, I was back on the road mm-hmm. driving back to Jersey. The next day, <laughs> I drove to church and we did this thing. That was awesome. And it was totally fat. Seeing old friends again. Yeah. yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And... And and seeing how the, uh, he had grown was just amazing to me. I need to free Absolutely amazing to me, um, how Sal had he had evolved, and I I had to see that I had to see this culmination. But it turned out to be more than just a culmination, but more like a new beginning. And I and I wasn't missing that for anything. Yeah. So it was um, awesome. That was
0: that made the ordination. But to get back to uh, what what is worship for me is, uh, yeah, music. Music is part of it. Um, You've noticed that most of my music selections are spiritual in nature, but also worship for me is getting away in nature with, with Allison, uh, but also um, going to the dojo when I can, which hasn't been in a while, so I haven't really worshipped in a while, but yeah, that has been historically for me worship.
1: So, for me, because, and I, I'll confess, this is confession hour, I have not been good at finding time to worship. Um, so what I'm doing this year is the, the, the best I can do at the moment is I'm starting to include my lay speakers uh, more in the schedule, not being on the pulpit every week of every month, Um and only allowing them to preach when, or only having them preach when I'm uh, on vacation. So what I'm doing is scheduling them, and so I sit with my family. I let them lead worship, and then also we give each other feedback and stuff on, on you know, sermons. So it's a way of like really building up the laity, but also giving me a chance to get fed. And and also, somebody said this to me, and it's true. Just because I'm the pastor doesn't mean that other people don't have a word that God is putting on their hearts to speak and a word that could be speaking to me and feeding me. So that's what I've been doing to, to, to worship. But I would also say music and art. Art for me, uh, poetry, um, art, uh, uh, music, and I write my own music. And uh, so, so those, those things, and being in nature. I mean, I, I I'll often tell people, you know, like nature's not an excuse to not go to church. But for somebody who's in church all the time, nature is my excuse to be at church uh, with God, you know. Um, a lot of people will say, well, I don't need to go to church. I can just go to a mountaintop and, and pray. And I'm like, that's true. But when a tree falls on you while you're alone on the mountaintop praying, then what? <laughs>
0: you oh, my God, will hear you.
1: Yeah. So, so um, you know, that, that to me is my way of saying that, you know, church is about the community as well as yeah. worship. But I am a part of that. Yeah. And, and I, so I need to find ways of connecting with God because what I've noticed is when I am in church, leading church week after week after week after week after week, I'm not getting I'm getting fed in some ways, but I'm not getting fed in the ways that I need particular to my soul and to my struggles. And what that becomes a very hollow thing after a while and it becomes almost like a wall between you and god everybody else is connecting through you but you're not connecting and then then how can how are you can you how can you best serve people when you're not connecting to the one that you're right. connecting others to so it's and it's I, a struggle it, it is a struggle it's a struggle yeah.
0: i have found recently creating things with my hands building things i would um, would a baby have anything to do with that? A baby that? would have something to do with that. <laughs> I built a changing <laughs> no, table.
2: You're about to get out of practice, <laughs> aren't you? Oh, yeah. Ballet, ballet,
0: but uh, also, yeah, um, getting away to the woods is great, but I also need to connect to the Eucharist That's as much as possible.
1: That's the thing. Yeah, and, and you don't get to I it. I don't
0: get that in the dojo or in the woods or in the garage. No, no. So. And,
1: and honestly, you can't have communion just by yourself. Theologically speaking. That's why, that's that's why, why called, they
0: call it communion. Communion, and
1: You yeah. commune with people. It's not, it's not me-union. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: It's communion. When I find myself working on jobs <clears> throat> that throat> may involve this habit, like tomorrow, for example, I'm supposed to be doing a job. So when I take these people to where they're going to, their attitude is, okay, bus is here, driver is here, looks competent, looks prepared, knows where they're going and back, can this job happen the way the people who are paying their hard-earned money to make it happen? Mm-hmm. So I say, yeah, in that regard, I'm providing a form of ministry because if they could do it themselves, they would. Yeah. Not that they can't, they chose not to because they know there's someone else yeah. who is better suited, better prepared, and is of the mindset to effectively provide the service needed. Therein, someone like me, brings them their vehicle, takes them to where they have to go to. It provides a certain captive audience for me. It's like having a congregation of up to 55 people. Yes, yes. Um, A captive audience. A captive audience, (laughs) if you will. Which also provides another um, important and I don't dismiss it as very serious component of my job. We all drive. We all know there are a lot of people out there that don't take their driving seriously enough to where they're focusing on the road. And it's because I am aware of that as a professional I have to take into account the quirks of other people's misbehaviors. But the 55 people behind me don't care about that. They're putting that task to me. Yep. So if that's the case, then my ministry is getting them there from one point to another and back safely, as quickly as possible without incident, accident, or injury. And that's part of my driver's creed. So...
0: What Bill is saying is if you're passing a bus or a, or a big tractor trailer, especially bus, though, don't cut them off. Yeah. Don't cut them off and brake check them. No. Give them space.
1: Amen. Ru- yeah. Rules of the road. Rules of the road. Hey, what's that, say? That, that? That's I think that's saying don't be a jerk. Don't be a jerk.
2: Yeah, something yeah. like I'm that. I'm going to call it. Can it be perfectly frank? Yeah. Oh, yeah no, that's, that's, that's for the end of the pocket, I totally yeah. get that. Yeah bottom line is, thank you for that sell, thank you for that public service announcement. No yes, that is a beautiful yeah. public service. And yes, it does apply to tractor trailers as well, because they're bigger than buses. Yep. Yeah, and You don't want to be on the, re- you don't want to be behind a tractor trailer, brake checking them, and then they can't stop for whatever the reason. Or well, maybe because they're just too heavy. I don't know.
1: I can tell you that you don't want to be behind a tractor trailer who lost its brakes either. I experienced that personally. Uh, it, it hit a Jeep Patriot hit a Jeep Cherokee, hit us. And let me tell you, I have never felt forced like that before and never want to again. I tore my meniscus in that, (laughs) and uh, it was interesting.
0: So I think what we're getting to here is um, whether you're a clergy or not, you need to take time for yourself. Yes, and Sabbath's about resting. Get some rest. Yeah. But then also find communion find a group of people to do it with
1: yes yes um, even if it's in a cigar shop puffing your your life and your worries away
0: so <clears throat> i think we're gonna wrap up with that um, sounds good you can catch us on all of our in- you know our social media
1: yeah and by um, the way you patrons you're about to get you're about to hop over to the uh exclusive side of this so get uh, some
0: video of get some
1: discussion. video uh, get, a, get a flavor of uh, the chemistry between uh, Sal and Bill and myself but this has been a great time man it's been a great time
0: and uh, keep an eye out I think Bill also has uh, he's working on a, a, a script and a play oh, yeah. that should be want to plug that real quick yeah sure yeah, plug
2: it I've been writing this script for quite a number of years essentially it's telling the stories of a long distance driver uh, it's right now it's working Tyler's call from where I sit because I sit behind the steering wheel of a bus and I have a perspective which is not seen by most people Um, and also from the standpoint as a driver, I have to be true to the people who also do what I do Uh, and not everybody is able to articulate their intentions. It's getting easier now on Facebook to do that because I have a lot of people who I know on Facebook who are drivers but I have been fortunate enough to um, combine my skills as a writer, combined with my skills as a musician and as an actor to write a script that I want to eventually put out on stage that will tell stories from the road, uh, from the point of a long-distance driver. Hashtag road jockey. <laughs> road jockey. Amen. 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 So... Well, be on the lookout.
1: Yeah, so uh, with that said, guys, uh, I'm going to say, uh, Bill, this was a superb, most excellent Maduro cigar. Thanks. Thank you. You're Thank quite you. are welcome. I'm drinking
2: this very much myself.
1: Amen. And uh, in the meantime, friends, remember be excellent to each other. And don't be a jerk. Rock on. Rock on. Rock on.